All right. Well, you see these two um, uh, the things that they are. That's it. Uh, we've been doing these these two back to back, you know, side to side and back and forth. Today is the to be side, right? Because we just did what was last week. Anybody remember? Oh man. Why should I care? Yeah, exactly. Why should I care? Thank you. Thank you, honey, for paying attention. Why should I care was the to be or the uh, who rules? Who rules? Why should I care? Before that was to be. Man, okay. Discerning. Discerning. And, and those two last weeks kind of run together with, for me, especially with the stuff that we've been talking about that's happening in the real world with the protests and all this stuff. And why should I care? Especially last week when we talked about looking out there and seeing people who are not the same as us, who don't share the same beliefs as us, who maybe even hate us, or maybe we hate them. Maybe we got the problem with hate, either way. And, and asking ourselves, why should I care about them? Well, the reason, one of the reasons was what? what? What was one of the reasons you grabbed from last week about why should I care about other people? God cares for us. God cares for them, too, and loves them. Even though I may not have struggled loving them or even liking them, God loves them. And for that reason, I need to be able to step out and say, look, I care about you because God cares about you. Okay, and... and the reason I'm bringing up these, these two here again is because today is the last one in the to be section. I'm cutting the to be a little bit short because I'm, I'm molding this into a different lesson after a couple more of the who rules. As, as I see this, this transitioning, as I see, I think, where, we, where we're going with this kind of thought about being like Jesus and realizing that God rules our lives, then how should we live? Well, what's the outcome of that? What does that look like in real life? And what does that look like in my life and your life? Which is why I want to start here today with the last sermon in the To Be series in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. As John said, it's what we term the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. And this is a familiar section of Scripture for a lot of us, right? You could probably quote most of it, at least some of it. Right? 18 through 20, maybe, especially. And this is an important section because a lot of us see this as our marching orders, right? And more importantly, I think, this section shows me, really, how Jesus lived. This is a summation of Jesus' life when I look at 18 through 20. When I look at 16, him, him coming down there and talking to them, and 17 where they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And then 18, where he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What else? Teaching them to observe all that I command you. And what? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Yes. Okay, so these are marching orders. These are Jesus' last words, or some of his last words here as he's getting ready to go back to the Father. And I see Jesus' life being summed up in these words as well. But I'm not going to call it the Great Commission anymore. I'll tell you what we're going to call... Or not what we're, I'm not making your decision. I'll tell you why I made my decision. 
a little later on, but keep that in mind. I'm going to change the name, at least for me, from the Great Commission to something else here. Because I want to ask you for a second how you've heard this section of Scripture. When you've heard it preached, when you've heard it teached, and somebody stands up here and he says, okay, this is the Great Commission, and this is what you do with the Great Commission. What's one of the things you've heard? What are you supposed to do? Be evangelistic. Go. Okay, that's what I've heard. I've heard go. Here's all the different kinds of, of, the, of uh, translations. I've got NIV, uh, NASB, I've got ESV. I've even got the message up there because I want to go back and forth between them today. So I want you to, to see a different translation of these. But here's Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. I've heard this great commission. This is what it's called, but I'm not so sure. Here is what I've heard. Go. That's the imperative, right? Go. Or at least that's what I've heard preached sometimes. Go. Get this thing done. Jesus is telling his disciples, okay, I'm going back to the Father, now you go. I've also heard this is what we're primarily doing. Go make disciples. Okay? Well, I don't think that's exactly right. I don't think that's exactly right at all. And I'm going to... This little dramatic chipmunk or whatever it is. When, when, when I tell you what I think the imperative is here, because you look at verse 18 and 19, especially 19, there's an imperative in 19, but it's not go. There's an imperative in 19, but it's not baptizing them. There's imperative in 19 and 20, but it's not teaching. The imperative is one word in there. Which word is it? Let's see if I can make it happen. Here we go. Pay attention. Whoop. Pay attention to the. Ah, golly. Sorry. Fat fingers. Pay attention to the thing. See it there? Did you see it? What is it? Disciple. Did you see the word? Okay. One word, disciple. That's your imperative. Jesus says, go disciple. There's no make in there either. Go disciple, period. No make, which, which automatically it starts me, me thinking, okay, well, maybe I'm, I'm thinking about this backwards in, in this great commission. It's not go make disciples, Robert. It's go disciple. He's telling the apostles, go disciple. Go disciple. It's not so much an outcome here that Jesus is looking for, even though there is an outcome to this message. And there always will be, because Jesus doesn't deliver messages that don't have an outcome. But what's really happening here is Jesus is saying, go disciple. And when he says go disciple, it's not just you go disciple, it's this Texas you disciple. You, y'all go. Y'all go. Yeah, that disciple there is, is plural, Second person plural. It is, it is more than just you singular. It is everybody go. Everybody disciple. Every single person disciple. But no make there. No make. Just all y'all go disciple. This is part of the reason I'm, I'm changing my Great Commission title here. Because all y'all go disciple. 
In fact, what I'm thinking, when I'm rethinking this, as I was thinking about this this week, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, okay, what is Jesus saying to these disciples? What does he really want them to do? In turn, what does he want me to do? Then I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to stop making disciples. Well, that seems controversial at the same point, at the same time, doesn't it? If I told you right now, okay, church, stop making disciples, how many of you would say, yeah, that sounds like a good, good plan? That sounds like a great biblical plan, Robert. Stop making disciples. Just stop it right now. Because Jesus didn't tell you to do that to begin with. Stop making disciples. Well, not exactly. He is saying, start being one. Right here, he's saying to these disciples, he's saying, go disciple. Go do. Go live. Go be what I've called you to be. Go be what, what I've told you you need to be. And Jesus did this in his life. He did make disciples, didn't he? But at the same time, I see Jesus walking around being Jesus. Doing what he's saying he's doing. And living a life that says, this is who I am. I want you to come and check me out. And if you like what you see, well then start being like me. But I don't see him just going out there and saying, okay, I've got to make uh, 20 disciples today. He goes out there and he lives it. And then the disciples happen. In fact, go over to Matthew. If you've got your Bibles open, go over to Matthew chapter 4. As he's meeting people. In verse 19, he's getting disciples here. He's, He's calling people to him. They're noticing something about him. In fact, I'm going to go back to verse 18. He says, and says, and walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come and see. Come here after me. Literally, come here after me. Come see who I am. Come, come see what I do. Come see how I live, and I will make you fishers of men. But... They're not going to get that unless they come follow him, unless they actually see how he lives. Do what I do. Live what I, how I live. It's, it's like that, that phrase that I told the guys in, in the Philippines when, we got, when I got there, the, the one for all and all for one. I'm not going to do anything, and I'm not going to be treated with any special sort of privileged tre- treatment here just because I'm from America. I'm going to do what you do. I'm going to eat what you eat. I'll sleep where you sleep. That's the way, that's the way it should be. And Jesus says, I'll do what you do, and I want you to do what I do. I want you to sleep where I sleep. I want you to go where I go. And I want you to follow me and learn from me. This beginning here of this this great commission here, the the go disciple here. You've got classes all over the world to to disciple. This this one I found online, he he charges 40 bucks for for this session. Who knows, might be good. You, you can go anywhere, and, and there's tons of classes, tons of books on how to disciple, how to be a disciple, how to disciple, how to find the right prospects, how to do all of this. But here, I, I think Jesus gives the how to disciple in a very concise form when he tells his disciples here to disciple. Now, here's where, where the, the participles and all of this Greek and all this, this, this cred that you probably don't care about comes into play. Because Jesus is telling them, this is my command. My command is for you to go disciple. 
And so my question to Jesus is, well, how do I disciple Jesus? What's, what is involved in doing what you're calling me to do? And so he says, here's the participles. Here's how you do what I'm asking you to do. And that's why I say this is a summation of Jesus' life, because if you are not exposed to Jesus' life, then the participles here are going to be very wanting. I'm not going to understand them completely. You're going to have, we're going to have to actually look at the life of Christ and see what do these three, three things here mean when he says, go disciple. He says, go. That's one participle. He says, baptize. That's one participle. And he says, teaching. There's your other participle. There, there's those three things, but, but well, that doesn't make much sense. I need to go, baptize, teach. On, on the one hand, that's simple. But at the same time, it's extremely involved. In fact, here is Young's literal translation. I like Young's literal translation because you look at verse 19. Is that coming through okay? Yeah. What does that say there? Having gone. Here's part of the, the participle that Jesus is telling the disciples. When I tell you to go disciple, I'm saying having already gone or having gone. My, my translation says go. Everybody else's translation says Go. Go, therefore, go. I don't, I don't tell you, I, I, I scratch out notes in my Bible. So, scratch out go and put in having gone or as you're going. This is a process, Jesus says, that is ongoing. It's a continual process. It's not just a, let's go to uh, the Philippines. Like I went to the Philippines. Let's go to the Philippines. Let's go to some other country. Let's go to... Arkansas, another country, and Texas. Texas, another country, yeah, good. And, and let's, let's be missionaries there. Those are great things, and they should happen. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, this is something that you do as a disciple every single day of your life. This is an everyday occupation, an everyday thing. When you get up, you're going. As you're going, as you go to the gas station, Disciple. As you go to the store, disciple. As you go to the daycare, disciple. Wherever you're going, you disciple. And that go that Jesus is saying there is not something that is an option, is it? It's a fact. He's saying, this is an absolute fact. This is what a disciple is. This is what a disciple does. Because you saw me, in my three years with you, going. And going and going. I went here, I went there, I walked, I talked, I did all of these things. He went, he went, and he went. It's not about foreign mission trips, it's about my everyday life. When Jesus says, go disciple, he's, he's literally saying, disciple, having gone. This is, this is your command, I want you to disciple, because you're already out there going. You're already out there living. You're already out there talking and preaching and teaching. This is, this is what you do as a disciple of mine. You go, having gone, really, literally. The next two, right, Carl, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a, well, I'm going to evangelize today. It's a lifestyle of evangelism. It seeps out of you. It's in your speech. It's in your, it's in your everything. It's when you come up behind, like, like one sister last Sunday night was talking about, coming up behind people in a grocery line and they're short on money or something is you need to help somebody right in front of you but you don't know them 
but it seeps out of you because God loves me, I love you, I'm going to help you if I can. It's just that simple sometimes. Now, that may not lead to a Bible study, but what it is is you being Christ-like and reaching out to people who need help, even financial help. That's fine. Reach out to those people. Live. Go. And then what does he say? Baptizing. Baptizo. Baptizing them. This is that participle. And, And the reason he's saying baptize them, I believe, is because it's an outcome of someone having been exposed to the gospel. It's an outcome of, of someone being exposed to a disciple of Christ. Where does it lead? Where does the gospel story lead you? It leads you to the waters. It leads you to Him. That's where it leads you. It's a disciple that's talking Jesus, living Jesus, practicing Jesus, sharing Jesus with their friends, and then that leads you to what Jesus says, this is how you disciple, you immerse them into me. You immerse them into the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You, they are now possessed by us. We are in their lives. I remember a long time ago, my wife... Well, not a long time ago. I turned 46 and I used the terms a long time ago. It, I don't know at what point you get to use that term and sound very authoritative, but it was a while ago. It was at our old house, so it was a while ago. Thank you, sir. It was a while ago... And my wife was talking with a neighbor, and she was talking about immersion. She said, well, even Paul in 1 Corinthians says he didn't come to baptize. So baptism is not essential. And when I was talking to my wife, I said, well, you know, the the logic of that, I can understand on the surface the logic of that. But when you look over there at 1 Corinthians, go over there with me. And you look at the disciple, the apostle, a man who is following Christ... And I think is living a life that that emulates Jesus as much as possible here. And if he was standing there when the disciples were standing there in Matthew 28, he'd be getting the same instruction. He did get the same instruction later on, but a little more personalized. When you look at 1 Corinthians 1, and Paul says, for sure here, he says in verse 16, Now I did not baptize the ho- also the household of... St- I did baptize also the household of St- Stephanus. Beyond that... I don't know whether I baptized any other. What? For Christ did not send me to baptize, he said in 17, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ should be made void. See, Paul didn't even come to baptize, so baptism is not a part of salvation. Paul says it himself. But then when you look at the scripture and you see Paul saying, well, I did baptize some, and then you go back up further in his argument, and you see that he says, Now I exhort you, brother, in verse 10, that by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree there be no divisions among you. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, verse 11, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. No, I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Christ? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say you were baptized in my name. But what, what I take from that section there is when Paul is saying, are you baptized into Apollos? Are you baptized into Cephas? Are you baptized into me? Well, no. Who are you baptized into? Into Christ. He almost takes it for granted here, doesn't it, that a, that a follower of Christ is immersed into Christ. The reason he's saying, I, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, he wants out of those quarrels of who's, who's top dog here. Who are you going to follow? Paul? Are you going to follow Cephas? Are you going to follow me? 
I want out of that argument because you should all be following Christ, the one that you are immersed into. He's the one that's important in this scenario. So when, when you hear the argument, okay, well, baptism's not important. Not even Paul came to, to, to baptize. Yeah, no, he didn't. But what's the outcome of the, of the gospel message being preached by Paul? That's what it looks like to me. It looks like that Paul is saying, yeah, the outcome of that message that I preach to you is you being immersed into Christ, but it's not about who immersed you. It's not about who, who taught you. It's about who you're being immersed into. It's about Jesus Christ himself. Don't, don't take the man that's preaching to you and put him in place of Christ. It's Christ. It's all about him. It's always about him. Paul is saying immersion is important. It's essential here. If you want to be in Christ, you've got to be in him. You've got to be immersed into him. Don't keep count about how many people you baptized. Who cares? It's Christ that matters. Christ is the one that saves. Paul doesn't save. I don't save. Christ saves. Baptism saves only because God says, I want you to do that. We talked about last week about me being under the water. I'm sure you've been under the water many times. And it didn't do a lick of good for me spiritually. There's, there's, there's a process that God is asking us to, to be a part of. There's, there's something God is asking us to do. He's asking us to go disciple. He's also asking those people who wish to be disciples to say, I want to be in you. And how do we become in him? We're immersed into him. Baptism is that natural outcome of someone being exposed to a disciple and to the message and the gospel of Christ. And the next thing that follows is this. I noticed a brother this morning wearing a, a Tabasco shirt. I thought it was pre- rather apparent, or rather appropriate, yes. Thank you for wearing that. I saw that picture last night and I said, Tabasco, that's teaching and it sounds like Tabasco. Oh, that'd be a cute, uh, cute picture, probably only for me, but it's cute. Didasco sauce. There's the teaching here. Teaching. Didasco. Dip them and forget them, right? That's what we do in, in, in the church. You dip them, you forget them because now they're in Christ and they're brother or sister and let's forget about them. Nope. You don't dip them and forget them. God even says, hey, you're discipling, you're going, you're going to be immersing and then what do you need to do? You need to teach them all that I've commanded you. Everything about me. You've taught them some about me. They know me. They want to follow me. They've heard about me. There's something about me that that they want. They've been immersed into me. But now, what do they need to know? Everything that I've commanded you. You need to know the theology. You need to know the methodology. You need to know how to live in Him. That's the teaching that follows all of this here. The teaching that says, "This this is who I am. This modeling for the disciple who is doing this. We're modeling a life of Christ, or we should be. Modeling the life of Christ to these people. Teaching them the theology, but also the methodology. How do you live it out? What does it look like in real life? What does it look like when my wife and I fight? What does it look like when when my wife and I encounter troubles? What does it look like when I am hurting? How do I take care of it? How do I go to Christ? That modeling that happens in the Didasco, it's not just sitting down and learning facts about Jesus. It's actually living it out in real life. And I think we need each other to see that. I think God knew that, and that's why he's sending them out there to disciple. That's a part of that disciple, to see you, to see how how my brother Bob handles the death of his wife. How does he handle this? All of those who have lost spouses, how do you handle that? How do you go on living for Christ when you're hurting? 
How do you go on living for Christ when you're being attacked? How do you go on living for Christ when everything in the world seems to be just horrible? And crud is going on all the time. How do we live for Christ? Oh, I'm going to see that in you. You're going to see that in me. We're going to disciple. As we're going, we are emulating the life of Christ as best as we possibly can to those out in the world. And that leads me to the second thing, because somebody might say, well, okay, there's the, there's the baptizing, there's the teaching, there's the going, but what about into all the world, right? What about that? Go into all the world. Whoops, man, fat fingers again. Go into all the world. Well, my version says, go into all the nations, disciple of all the nations. Well, actually, go therefore and make disciples, although I've got make scratched out. Go there, having gone... Disciple all nations. What does yours say? Anybody have different than all nations? Nobody has anything different than all the nations. Interesting. Okay. That's all right. This is not really an act of going, though, I don't think. And when he's talking about go into all the world, there's a difference between the words that he uses here, and I think there's a, there's a significance in the word that he uses in Matthew and versus Mark. So you look at Mark, and he says, go into all the world, right? And Matthew says, go into all the nations. Now, there's a difference here in, in the word, because the Greek word for world is cosmos. The Greek word for uh, earth is ethne. And then the word that Matthew uses, ethnos, nations, is literally meaning Gentiles or nations, Gentiles. People that are, that are different than you, basically. And, and when I think about Matthew's gospel, he's writing a very Jewish gospel, and it makes sense why Jesus, in, recorded by Matthew, says, go into all the nations. Go to those people that you don't necessarily agree with. Go to those people that you don't share familial, familial history with. Go to those people that, that, you know, before, maybe we wouldn't associate, maybe we wouldn't eat with. But now, in this new covenant, go to those nations. Go to those Gentiles. Go to those people. And Mark, he says, go into all the world. And literally the world. And that makes sense in his, in his Roman-centered gospel. Go into all the world. Yeah. In the Jewish gospel, go to the Gentiles. Go to those people that you wouldn't normally go to and get this message done. Teaching them all of these things. Because Jesus didn't teach them everything that they needed to know, did he? Go over to John really quickly before we move out of this, these participles. Go over to John. Chapter 16, verse 2. As Jesus is getting ready to leave them, he's telling them to go in Matthew 28, where we're looking. He's saying, go to the Gentiles. Take everything, you know, and, and remember everything I'm teaching you. The Spirit's going to bring to your mind everything. And all of this, he's going to help you. And talking to the apostles there specifically. But in verse 16, or excuse me, chapter 16. Let's see. 12, verse 12, sorry. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Now, I think that is specific to the disciples there, to those men who were apostles who ended up passing this down to us through the Word. But He's, he's by extension saying, I can't teach you everything because I've got to go. But the Spirit of truth is coming. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring to your mind everything that I've said. You're going to pass that down. Like Peter says, we've got everything pertaining to life and godliness. And we're passing that down to you 
so that you can become participators of this divine nature. He's saying this, and he's saying, go into to these people who, who you normally won't associate with, which rings true to me, too, especially from last week, right? Going to people that we don't share political views with, uh, even religious views with, going to people that we don't necessarily hang out with and saying, let me share with you how Jesus affected my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. Go to the people that you don't know. Go to the people that you wouldn't normally share these things with. It's about going. And that's why this name change that I, that I spoke of earlier, it's not just a commission to me. It's not just a great commission to me anymore. I'm going to change it since my Bible doesn't have titles anyway. I'll write in there the everyday commission. This is not the great commission. This is the everyday commission. Because Jesus is not saying, hey, get yourselves funded and go to some other country and, and, and have, a, have a two-week mission trip. He's saying, as you're going, which means this is your everyday life. This is what you do all the time as you go. Day to day, this is what you do. But what's really good about this and what's really amazing about this is the next imperative in this section because... How many of you out there would say, in this going here, I'm going to need some help, right? Help, I need somebody. Don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me. Don't, don't pull what Jeff did last week and spoil my joke here. All right. I, if, you, if you are like me, I mean, how many people out there think, man, this, this everyday commission... That, that's going to require something of me. This is actually going to be tough. Who would like some help in this scenario? Thank you, Mary. Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I would like some help too. And I know you can help me. And I can help you. But I would like some better help than you. And I'm sure you would like some better help than me. But we do have that better help, right? Now, here is what I find interesting about this passage again. Jesus says, the imperative, the command is disciple. How you do that, the participles in that section, he says, this is how you do that. You are going, you're baptizing, and you're teaching. Now, the next thing that comes up is, okay, Jesus, we're going to go do that, but we need help. We're not quite sure how to do all that. And so the next imperative is very, very subtle. Look at your text teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, lo, lo. And the NIV, I think, is surely. Don't call me surely. Lo. Lo is an imperative in this section. Lo, I am with you. Lo. Nobody uses lo. I don't use lo in my, my normal, everyday language. Surely is an imperative. And surely... I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, help, I need somebody. And as was already said, not just anybody. Right? Not just anybody. Jesus is literally saying here in this section, lo. He's saying, behold. He's saying, see me. It's not just a, a little throwaway word. This is Jesus actually saying, when you are discipling, 
When you are following my command and you're living the life of a disciple, you're going, you're baptizing, you're teaching, you keep your eyes on me. You see me. You behold me. You don't take your eyes off of me. Now, that, that's, for me, that's very comforting. And it's, and it's a tiny little command in there that I didn't know was in there before. I, I just scooted right over and, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I didn't realize that Jesus is saying, Robert, don't you take your eyes off me. Because the moment you take your eyes off me, that's the minute you lose it. That's the minute you stop discipling. That's the minute you stop going. That's the minute you sink into the water, Peter. When you take your eyes off me, this is that command that Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always. It almost looks like I do, doesn't it? I do. When you're, when you're telling Jesus, I'm going to disciple for you, I'm keeping my eyes on you, Jesus. As a Hebrew author say, keeping our eyes on Him, fixing our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That, that is this, this Savior that we are keeping our eyes fixed on. To be able to accomplish the things that He's commanding us to do, it's that low and that's where these guys, these guys are looking. They're, they're, they've got their eyes fixed on something. And that, that as, as Christians, we should be standing there also looking at Jesus while we're discipling, while we're going, while we're baptizing, while we're teaching. And what do we teach the people that we teach? You keep your eyes on Him. Same thing that uh, Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. Don't keep your eyes on Peter, Cephas, Apollos. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, the one that got you in here to begin with. The one that's going to keep you. The one that's going to hold you. The one that's washed you clean. That's the one you keep your eyes on, not me. Which leads me to here, when we talk about discipling, how do you disciple? We'll go over to John again. John chapter 13. How do we go? How will they know? One of the keys of living a life for a disciple is Again, dovetailing off of our uh, sermon last week and the discussion at night last week about the lesson about a Galatians 6.10. In this world, and, and you run across people, and you, you reach out to help. What does Galatians 6.10 tell me? Remind me again. Just sum it up for me. Say it again. Do good unto all men. Especially those in the household of faith. Do good to all men. If you've got people out there in the world that are living a, a do good to all men, especially those in the household of faith kind of life, they're going to be, they're going to be seen. You're going to be recognized. There's, there's going to be something different about you. When you show up to people you don't even know, you don't have any background with, and you do good to them, you love them with that agape love that says, I'm going to do the best for you. This John 13, 35 is going to, going to ring some bells here because Jesus tells his disciples here, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, what? If you have love for one another. But it's not just you and I here that we have love for, is it? It's do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. But when they see us loving each other, when they see us loving them, that's, that's a life that says, I'm going. I'm, I'm discipling, I'm teaching, I'm doing all of these things. This is the life that says, I love my neighbor, no matter what. 
Um, the street that I work, uh, the street that I live on, I love my neighbor. The place where I work, I love my neighbor. The person I'm in line behind in the grocery line, I love that guy that is slowing me down that has 15 items in the 10 items or less line. I love that guy. I love that guy that just cut in front of me on the freeway. I love you. Yes, I know. I'm pushing it, right? Yeah. Pray for him, yes. Pray for him that I don't rear-end him, right? It's that, it's that everyday commission that we love people, that we, that we do what's best for them, that we are discipling, that we look like Jesus when we drive our cars, that we look like Jesus when we buy our Oreos at the store. We look like Jesus when we're doing whatever it is we're doing. In those 16 to 20 words there at the end of Matthew, Jesus is giving us this summation of his life. He's saying, disciple, I did it. Now you do it, disciple. Having gone, baptizing, teaching, and you keep your eyes fixed on me. In those 16, 20 words there at the end there, Jesus is summing up his life. And I think he's giving us just a clue here to these three things, which by, by admission here, I'm going to have to say we would need to explore these as well. But I want to give you a couple things here that Jesus is, is summing up in those words in Matthew 28. He's saying... I want you to go where I went. I've got these scriptures up here so you don't have to turn. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As, I, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now he's talking here and he's saying, I'm sending you. And I think by extension, he says to us the same thing in this everyday commission. I was sent by the Father. Now you, disciple, I'm sending you out. So I want you to go where I, where I went. I want you to go to those people that I went to. Go that extra mile for your friends, for your family, and dare I say, for our enemies. Go the extra mile. I went the extra mile. You go the extra mile. I ate with sinners. You eat with sinners. I fed the poor. You feed the poor. You do these things. Go where I go. Do what I did. John fourteen twelve. there says... Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, my time here is limited with you. That's why I'm telling you, the Spirit is coming, the Helper is coming. Plus, I I can't even tell you everything I want to tell you right now. You're going to have to listen to the Helper. He's going to give those things to you. And by extension to us, we do what He did. And we do great things for the Father. And then the last one here, we walk as he walked in 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's a pretty simple sentence there. If I claim to be a Christ follower, then how do I live? What? Like Jesus. What should I look like to you and, and, and other people that I meet? Like Jesus. Even if you don't recognize it at first. And even if I don't look as, as, as good as he looked. I look like Jesus. I look like Jesus in my words, in my actions, in my deeds. That's how I look like Jesus. That's what this everyday, I almost said great commission, everyday commission is for me. I'm not necessarily out there to make disciples. In fact, I'm going to rechange, retrain my, my mind to think I am not here necessarily to make disciples. I think that is a process of the outcome or an outcome of the process, but... My first goal here, Jesus told me 
disciple. You disciple. And that involves doing those things that makes disciples, but I am not going to concern myself with how am I going to reach these people? How am I going to, 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 to baptize these people? I'm going to, first thing, first thing first, I'm going to take care of my life and I'm going to look like Christ to those I come in contact with. I'm going to speak like Christ to those I come in contact with. And I believe that will lead me to the places I need to be. And if I'm being used by God, God will lead me to where he wants me to be. It will open up the doors that will help me do the baptizing, the teaching, and all these things. Because in reality, it's not me that makes the disciples to begin with. It's Jesus. It's God. It's the Spirit. It's when I allow the Spirit to live in me, empower me, and work through me, that God can really work in this world. I disciple, I live, I love like Jesus. And Jesus has a habit of helping people. And if we allow ourselves to be used for him in this everyday commission, he will help people through us. People will see this great commission. People see the everyday commission. I did it again. Great commission. That's going to be a hard habit to break. This everyday commission... Which is why he says there at the end to his disciples there and to me and you, keep your eyes on me. Because I know this is not going to be easy. Because it wasn't easy for him. And he expected trouble and he told his disciples, you can expect trouble too when you live for me. So keep your eyes on me. You can't do this without me. You can't do this without the Spirit's power. To a disciple that imitates the life of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that joined him to Christ, I think that 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 explains things to others as we come in contact with them, as we begin to share our lives with them. And I want to explore more of that with you, which is why the the series is changing and is going to change to something about how we disciple about how Jesus discipled. I want to see how Jesus treated people relationally and how I can do that as well, how I can live a life like Christ, how I can show them the death, the burial, and the resurrection through my life, through my speech, and one day hopefully be able to sit down and actually share the gospel with them and show them that the way I was clean, this is the way you can be clean. The way I was saved, this is the way you can be saved. You see something in me that is not me, it's Jesus in me. This is through the Spirit's power, not my power. Let me show you what a life in Christ looks like. And let me teach you what a life in Christ looks like. But to do that, I have to disciple, having gone, baptizing and teaching all the while, keeping my eyes focused on Him. For those of you who are in Him, this everyday commission is for you too. How are you doing in the discipling are you discipling are you living a life as a disciple going maybe you've taken your eyes off him maybe that that last imperative is like like me i miss it before and i take my eyes off jesus even for a brief second it's it can be devastating to a life for those of you who are in him i i urge you to keep your eyes on him because it's only through him that we can be that, live that disciple life that gets the outcome that he's looking for, both in our lives and in the lives that we touch. And for those of you who are sitting here this morning that aren't 
a disciple. That message is still the same. He's saying, you want forgiveness of sins? Well, it's in me. I died for those sins. But you have to come to me. You have to know who I am. You have to understand that I am the Son of God. You have to want to have those sins washed away. Be united with me in in death, in the watery grave, and rise to that new life where you disciple, where you walk, where you talk like me. If you need that this morning, or if you need to learn more about that this morning, I beg you to, to tap somebody on the shoulder, talk to me, talk to somebody else. We'd love to share you the story. That's not my story, it's Jesus' story. How he affected our lives, and how he affects the lives of everyone, and how he can affect your life too. Keep your eyes on him no matter what you do, as we stand and as we sing.